Thanks for reading, JP. Morning, everyone. Oh, that's good enthusiasm. I like to hear that. I feel like a primary school teacher. My name's Jasper. Uh, I'm going to be preaching from Luke chapter 1 today. Um, as far as preachers go, I'm what you would call a rookie. Uh, it's not that long ago that I was in kids' church here. <laughs> or does it feel that long ago? Uh, so I'm going to ask for God's help uh, to understand the passage as we look at it today. Uh, let's pray. Father, please help us to grasp your word. I pray that you'd help us to be changed by it as we listen to it today. And please help us to walk away uh, from this passage more certain than when we walked in of your promises to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a lot in our world that's uncertain at the moment, isn't there? Uh, What sort of collared shirt and jumper combo will Rod be wearing next Sunday? Uh, Checky, striped, maybe plain? Do we pack up the chairs at the end of church or do we just sort of leave them hanging? Will my Christmas presents even arrive on time? Uh, Will there be another lockdown next year? Do I have to get a booster shot? There's the small, mundane uncertainties we live with every day. And then there's the huge life questions that are so often uncertain. Uh, Microsoft released a report recently. I'm not sure if you've seen it. Uh, It said that as a direct result of COVID or otherwise, 40% of people are considering changing their career. 40%. COVID, climate change... Politics, sickness, death. Do you feel the uncertainty of life at the moment? And even closer to home than career uh, or the state of the world uh, is our relationships. How can I be sure that my relationships will last? What if they're ended by emotional distance or death? There's just so much in life that we can't know for sure. And then we come to God and his promises in the Bible. If I can't be certain about my career or my relationships, how could I ever be certain that God will keep his promises? Uh, God promises some incredible things in the Bible. Uh, Can I be certain that God will come good on his promises? What would it mean for you if you could be certain, if you knew for sure that God would come good on his promises? Well, that's the question uh, we want to be asking today as we come to the book of Luke. Uh, But is that what Luke wants to tell us? Uh, When Luke wrote his gospel, he wrote it with a clear aim. But what is that aim? Is he just trying to give us a list of facts about Jesus? Uh, Or does Luke want to inspire a highly emotional response? Uh, Does he want us to be blown away by Jesus and his miracles? Uh, Or is the Bible just a kind of list of rules that's going to help me to be a good person? Uh, No, Luke wants to give his readers certainty about the gospel. Uh, Let's read chapter 1, 1 to 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, 
Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Uh, So is Luke's intention in writing his book to give us a list of facts, an orderly account for Theophilus? Well, not quite. Uh, That's what he's doing in verse 3. But his intention is in verse 4, isn't it? Uh, That you may have certainty about the things you've been taught. Uh, We don't know who Theophilus is from Luke chapter 1. But whoever he is, uh, Luke's intention in writing his book is to give certainty to Theophilus, his reader, concerning the things He's being taught. Uh, There's a slide on the screen, and I'm sorry, I haven't given you a script, Paul, but uh, hopefully you can follow. There's a slide on the screen with two texts you might find in the same newspaper. Uh, One is a comic strip. The other is a news story headline. And the intention of the author really matters when you want to interpret what they're saying, uh, doesn't it? If I think the author of the Garfield comic is trying to tell me something serious about what's going on in the world, well, I might appear pretty foolish uh, when I try to talk to my work colleagues about the news. Uh, But if I look to the headlines of the news articles for mere amusement, well, I'll probably miss what's going on. I need to know what the author is trying to communicate if I want to understand their message. And Luke tells us right at the top Uh, what his desire is for his reader. He wants his book to give certainty about the events of the gospel and their meaning. Now, the gospel is the good news that Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. It's what Luke means when he says, the things you have been taught. And if we can be certain about the gospel, we can be certain that God has and will Come good on his promises. So Luke would want us to read this chapter and walk away more certain that God would come good on his promises than when we walked in this morning. But how does Luke go about giving certainty in his gospel? Uh, Well, Luke starts by telling us the who, where, when, and what to ground us in the history and give us certainty about the events of the birth of John the Baptist. Uh, So you can be certain about the arrival of John because of the historical detail around God's promise to send him. Look at verses 5 to 11. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense." Do you notice how much historical detail Luke gives us? Uh, Verse 5 to 7 is the who. 
uh, were introduced to the king at the time of these events, King Herod, uh, who reigned from 38 to 4 BC, uh, and Zechariah and Elizabeth in their family lineage. Uh, Verse 8 and verse 10 tell us exactly when this happened. Uh, While Zechariah's division of priests was serving at the temple, which is at the same time every year, uh, and verse 10 gives us the exact hour that this happened. Uh, Verse 9 and verse 11 tell us this happened in the temple, and we're told exactly where in the temple that this occurs. Imagine Luke just told us that an angel appeared to a man and skipped verses 5 to 10. Uh, We might have all we need to know about the significance of this event in the Bible story. But Luke wants us to know very clearly this event occurred at a certain time, in a certain place, to two certain people, so that we might be certain uh, that it happened. But does Luke just want us to be certain of the details of John's arrival? There are two types of certainty, aren't there? Uh, You can be certain about what is happening. You can be certain about why something is happening. About four months ago, uh, my lovely wife, Nicola, was getting sick. And I could have told you exactly what was happening. Uh, She was vomiting pretty consistently every day. Uh, She could barely stand my smell to the point where she'd feel nauseous when... I came near her. The only, <laughs> the only food she could eat without vomiting was uh, Vegemite toast, pretty much. Uh, so I knew what was happening. Uh, but if you asked me why, well, I might have shrugged my shoulders and said, um, mm, I think she's just got a stomach bug. I don't really smell that good anyway at the best of times. And I know she loves Vegemite toast, so uh, that kind of explains it. When we became certain uh, that... Not only was she sick, uh, but that that sickness she was experiencing was morning sickness because she was pregnant. Uh, There's a whole other level of certainty. Luke doesn't just want his readers to know what's going on. He wants them to be certain that this promise of John is God fulfilling a promise from the Old Testament. Look at what Gabriel says to Zechariah in verse 13 to 17. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the people, sorry, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. We're told in this section the great meaning behind the promise of John. Uh, We're told John will be filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, which is a rare thing in the Old Testament, but that's not the most eye-catching of the promises, uh, these words from the angel Gabriel. As we read this promise about John, like a bell, uh, the words of Malachi chapter 4 should kind of just go off in our head 
uh, if we're a good Jewish reader. Uh, look at how similar these two passages are. Luke 1.17, And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And Malachi chapter 4, 5 to 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet who had an extraordinary role in uh, calling out the sin of God's people and communicating God's coming judgment to them. So why is John referred to as coming in Elijah's spirit and power? Well, uh, Malachi, another prophet from the Old Testament, identifies a future prophet who will come to call out God's people before God acts in judgment, just like Elijah. John is that promised one who goes before the arrival of the Lord in his temple, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Uh, So John's arrival is meaningful because it's the signpost from the Old Testament that God is going to come. He's getting ready to come into this world to act decisively in judgment and salvation. Can I say, friends, uh, this is a signpost you don't want to ignore. Have you ever seen one of those signs on the highway that says, Wrong way, turn back. If you're living in rejection of God, please listen to the sign of John. God has and will act in this world, in judgment on his enemies and in salvation on those who trust in him. Don't ignore the signpost. Uh, Well, these words of Gabriel, they link this event to God's wider plan to act in this world to bring justice and righteousness. Uh, This is not a one-off event. It's not a random supernatural occurrence. Uh, You can be certain that God is coming good on his Old Testament promises. God didn't speak in vain when he said he would enter this world and bring judgment and salvation. He acted to keep his promise. Zechariah would know better than many the promises of God from the Old Testament. These are promises that he and his wife, Elizabeth, have been waiting for ages, their whole life, to be fulfilled. But check out Zechariah's response to the angel Gabriel in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. I think Zechariah has a response to this crazy promise that he and his barren wife would give birth. He has a response that many of us would share. He can't believe it. Surely not, God. Surely you can't act against the odds to keep your promise in this way. Do you ever feel like God might not come good on his promise? So Zechariah is unconvinced. And as a result of his unbelief in the word of promise, he is muted until the time the promise is fulfilled. Uh, How could Zechariah's unbelief be transformed into joy and certainty? Well, God acts in mercy to keep his promises. Uh, Following Luke's telling of the promise to Mary that she'll give birth to Jesus, Luke takes us back to Zechariah and Elizabeth to show him coming good on his promise. 
Uh, Look with me at verses 57 to 58. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Can you taste the joy on the hearts and the lips of Elizabeth, Zechariah, and their friends and family? So vivid is God's mercy uh, in giving this old barren woman, Elizabeth, a child. Her neighbours rejoice with her. But even greater than the birth of a child to righteous parents in their old age is the knowledge that Zechariah has. This is God coming good on his promise. God is not faithful in name only. He acts to keep his promise. Take a look at Zechariah's response to the birth of his son um, from 59. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And they asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. When someone who's been uh, waiting for a child for a long time uh, finally gives birth, there's great joy. Our friends from uh, evening congregation, Guy and Sammy, uh, they're a family who could attest to that firsthand. Uh, They felt the trial and sorrow uh, of not being able to give birth to a child they longed for uh, for many years. And when Annabelle was born, uh, they got to experience that same joy that Elizabeth and her family felt. Pure, unbridled rejoicing in the marvelous gift of God. That joy, that most potent sense of joy, is even greater for Zechariah because he knows the even greater significance of this birth. Not only is his wife no longer cut off from society because she's barren, uh, not only does he get to experience the joy of having a son, the promise that he doubted has been fulfilled. God has acted in mercy to keep his promise. Why does Luke go to such lengths to tell us of God's promise-keeping in sending John? Well, he wants us to have certainty that God will keep all his promises. But why does God even make promises? Can the God of the universe not simply act in accordance with his will? Who benefits from God making promises? Us. We benefit. God makes promises for our sake. God could just act in this world. He he could just do what he's going to do. But by making promises, he involves us in his work by faith. In God's promises, uh, we his people can have certainty that God's going to do what he's going to do uh, while we wait for him to act. And Zechariah, having seen God's promise to send John fulfilled, well, now he trusts God to come good on his promises from long ago in the Old Testament to send a saviour from the line of David. 
If God has come good on his promise already, we can be certain that he will act to keep his promise again. Let's look at 67 and onwards. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to, his fa- to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy from our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace." Who is Zechariah praising God for? The birth of his son John or the coming of Jesus? Well, uh, verse 69 mentions salvation from the house of David, a family line which Jesus is promised to come from, uh, which is not Zechariah and Elizabeth's line. Uh, but in, 67, sorry, in 76, he talks about the prophet of the Most High who will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Well, that, that sounds a lot like John. But verse 73 mentions the promise to Abraham uh, that the whole world would be blessed through his offspring, uh, which kind of points to Jesus, who would uh, bless the whole world in his death and resurrection. Who is Zechariah praising God for? Well, it seems like he's declaring the goodness of God in sending John and Jesus at the same time. For Zechariah... It's almost like the promise of John and the promise of Jesus are the same thing. So sure is he that now that God has delivered, he will deliver again. One of my favorite weather events is a thunderstorm in summer. How good is a thunderstorm in summer? Uh, When you sort of feel that friction and the heat of the day just kind of turn cold. The smell of the rain. Uh, and seeing lightning and, and knowing thunder will kind of follow straight after. The closer they are together, the closer the storm is to you. Uh, and when the storm is so close and so loud, and you see the lightning and you block your ears, now why do we do that? Well, you know, the lightning is silent, but it makes so clear what will follow. You don't even have to wait to know what's coming. John the Baptist points to Jesus the way lightning points to thunder. When Zechariah sees John, uh, he knows the great and awesome day of the Lord is not ten years away. It's not some distant future hope. It's here. The day when the Lord will descend from his mighty throne to act in judgment and salvation. Uh, The day when the Lord will act in wrath and mercy. That day is here. As thunder follows lightning, so Jesus follows John. 
If you're not a follower of Jesus, can I ask you this morning, where does your certainty lie? Are you trusting in a career to give your life meaning and direction? Or is a relationship the most certain thing in your life? These are good things, but they're not certain, are they? One thing is certain. God will act to keep his promises. Luke is dedicated to showing us the certainty of God in fulfilling his promise to send Jesus. And if God kept his promise to send Jesus, uh, he will keep his promise to return and judge the world. So where do you stand? In verse 77, uh, John has come to give knowledge of salvation, uh, the forgiveness of sins. I see, our sin doesn't just separate us from God. It means that God will act in judgment to destroy those who are his enemies. Who can stand when the Lord returns to judge? He will come back. We will all face his judgment. Seek forgiveness and certain salvation. Certain forgiveness is yours, completely free. Uh, For for those of us who already trust in Jesus, how can we fuel our trust in God's promises? Uh, Like Zechariah, you can look back on God's faithfulness in the past to fuel your trust of his future faithfulness. Uh, God has already come good in his promises, so he will again. I wonder, have you been trusting God like Zechariah before John or after John? I've chosen uh, two of God's promises that are ours in the New Covenant. Uh, They're not up on the screen, so uh, you might want to write down the reference. Uh, One of them is Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. The other one is John 14, verse 3. Jesus says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I want you to pick one of these promises. Maybe uh, write it down on a note. uh, Leave it in your pocket throughout the week. Every time you see it, uh, remember that God made this promise because he loves you. He wants you to be certain about what he's doing in this world. Uh, Remember God promised that he would arrive in this world to fix the brokenness, sin, and uncertainty that so ensnares it. He has already come good on that promise. He will keep his promise to you if you would only trust him and lean on his mercy. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much that you are the promise-making God, that you make promises for our good, uh, that we might have certainty about what you're going to do. And Father, we thank you that you are the promise-keeping God. We thank you 
that just like you kept your promise to send John, that just like you kept your promise to send Jesus, so you will keep all your promises to us. And we pray that you'd help us to cling to your promises in faith as we wait for them to be fulfilled. In Jesus' name.